you kind of hear people talk about the issue of waste and how it affects people and animals and oceans and all that kind of stuff, you start to realize that actually you play an integral role in that kind of lifestyle. How can we help sustainability as a topic get more attention and awareness in spaces where people already consume a lot of content online, such as on YouTube? How can we lessen the amount of infighting going on within this space so we can just join forces and focus our efforts on inspiring whatever action and change that we can together? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. To sign up for Green Dreamer's weekly highlights that I write myself and send every Sunday, just head to greendreamer.com. With your subscription, you'll also hear three social and environmental wins to know for the week. And personally, I've really enjoyed getting to know, you know, the cool things people are doing, breakthroughs we're having, and positive actions being taken that we can take inspiration from. Again, you can just head to greendreamer.com to sign up with your email. For now, to our episode, let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is an environmental activist using social media platforms such as YouTube and Instagram to promote her message. Last year, she founded the Low Impact Movement in an attempt to create a community and educationally based resource. And with her personal YouTube channel and Instagram at Sustainably Vegan, as well as her Low Impact Movement, she shares lifestyle tips on how to reduce your waste and, in the broader sense, fight climate change. I've gotten feedback from multiple people saying that they love my soothing voice. Well, if you do think that, you're definitely going to enjoy listening to this conversation and listening to our guests speak today as well. Whenever I watch her videos on YouTube, I always just feel so at peace and inspired listening to her. So definitely check out her YouTube channel after you listen to this interview. Anyway, Green Dreamer, starting off with what inspired her passion for the environment, here's Imi Lucas. Well, it was actually going vegan about I don't know, six years ago now. And it all started with kind of understanding that that was an option that I wanted for my health. It acted as though this kind of spiral happened. So from that, I kind of realized why veganism might be important for sort of animal rights things. And then getting kind of really into the vegan community in London, I was exposed to so many people who were thinking about lots of different aspects of plant-based eating and the ethics of veganism and things like that. And when you're surrounded by people that you, you know, haven't met before and are come from different backgrounds, et cetera, and have different points of view, suddenly they introduce these ideas of like environmentalism and things like that, which I'd, I'd never really thought about before. And it really started this kind of massive um, awakening for me, realizing that there were so many other aspects to the way that we live. And it just kind of threw me down this, you know, like YouTube hole of watching lots of different like TED talks and listening to, or not listening, because I didn't really know any podcasts at that point, but kind of reading books. And I've always been surrounded by people who've also been interested in that. So one of my best friends actually works for Friends of the Earth and she would talk about her work there and it didn't really kind of mean that much to me until I started getting interested in it in my personal life. And then when she did her master's, 
and we'd sit down and we'd talk about the books that she was reading, what she was learning. I just suddenly became like fascinated by it. And, you know, it, it helps that my other, one of my other best friends, she studied earth sciences at university and now she's doing her master's in applied climatology. So I am really surrounded by some very uh, intellectual people who are really kind of clued into this stuff. And it's great to be able to talk to these people. So it all stemmed from going vegan in the beginning, but then being surrounded by people who were also interested in the same things and introducing me to new ideas in, you know, in terms of environment. Yeah. So as you were learning more and more, you read a ton of books, you listened to a lot of YouTube videos, studied a lot on this. What was like a key light bulb moment for you or like an aha moment? It was one, I was watching a TED talk about um, someone talking about their physical waste. And I'd never really considered waste to be an issue before, because obviously living in a very privileged society where my waste simply just gets removed by my council and I have no idea where it goes. That was never an issue for me because it was a privilege that I didn't have to think about it. But then when you open your eyes and you kind of hear people talk about the issue of waste and how it affects people and and animals and oceans and all that kind of stuff, you start to realize that actually you play an integral role in that kind of lifestyle. And it was just a one 13-minute video and a TED Talk video that just kind of made me realize, like, damn, I have a massive responsibility here and I really have to do something about it. What was that turning point for you when you knew that you wanted to dedicate your profession towards inspiring sustainability? It was actually a complete... Um, not mistake, but it was just kind of like a experiment. I made one video after having watched this TED talk about, <laughs> I named it my, my zero waste journey or my zero waste <laughs> lifestyle or something like that, which was stupid. Is it still up? Yeah. Oh my God, but please don't watch it. <laughs> We're going to link to this in the show notes too. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, you'll see some, some terrible, terrible hair and some interesting makeup choices. But it was this kind of first video where I thought, oh, I'm going to record myself trying to live a zero waste lifestyle and I like potted down to my local kind of you know fresh fruit and vegetable markets and opened all got all of these unpackaged stuff and that video was my first video I think that went kind of viral for my channel and that's when I realized oh maybe not many people are talking about this or maybe lots of people are interested in this or maybe this is something I should look into more and then my whole channel just suddenly became about my journey into zero waste living and how that kind of affects my life and all that kind of stuff. And when you were starting to reduce your waste, I'm sure suddenly you were so aware of all the bits of pieces of plastic and different waste that are just lying around in our homes. What was that biggest challenge for you as you were trying to really look at, you know, what sorts of products you were buying created more waste, what didn't, what better options to choose what was the most difficult part of this journey for you? I think one of the most difficult parts was food because I didn't have, I mean, I'm incredibly lucky that I now I'm surrounded by zero waste shops in London, but they only sort of opened last year or the year before. And so when I first started this kind of journey, I just thought, oh my God, everything that I'm buying is wrapped in plastic packaging or it's been shipped from, you know, miles and miles away. And because I didn't have the knowledge or the correct research in understanding what was better in terms of packaged fruits and vegetables that had been grown in this country or abroad, 
or you know unpackaged vegetables that had been grown in this country but were out of season and so had to be grown under you know immense energy absorbing or kind of like wasteful uh, processes it's it was really hard to understand what was the better choice and even now sometimes it's still confusing um you know what's better is it better to have organic but packaged fruit vegetables or non-organic unpackaged there are so many different things that we have to take into consideration and considering food is something that we do multiple times a day every day it started to make me feel like I was a little out of control and it wasn't something that I could manage because what my options were so limited even though I lived in a big city so I can only imagine how much more limited you know other people's resources are so yeah for me that was one of the biggest issues and sort of problems that I was facing trying to get into this lifestyle. Right. And I mean, there's so much to that. I would love for you to unpack your personal thought process behind that, because like you said, local, that's packaged versus shipped in from far away. That's not organic versus not, but packaged. Like, how do you decide right now, based on everything that you've learned, like how to best make your choices? (laughs) Um, Well, I guess I have a few kind of like criteria, I guess. I... I try as much as I possibly can to buy things that are in season because if they're in season, then they're most likely to have been grown locally and traveled sort of not too far and also not having to have used, you know, really energy um, intensive resources. But I also try and support companies like um, Oddbox. I think in America you have something like perfect, imperfect produce or something. I don't know. But um, companies like that, which even though the products aren't, organic they are locally and seasonally grown and they would have otherwise gone to waste because again of the imperfections but also I you know you have to understand your limitations and especially if you're plant-based for example like if rice is a massive kind of staple in your diet and you can't get nutrition or whatever from other places then trying to find a better and ethical resource or source sorry for that rice is much better than you know, buying whatever you can from any shop that doesn't really make any kind of effort to be sustainable. But also, I mean, I'm in a lucky position where I have the choice of farmers markets and zero waste shops and imperfect produce things and stuff like that. So I have the luxury of being able to go and choose, but some people or a lot of people don't. So I think it's important, especially if you want to, you know, try and make better decisions in terms of your food to just make the best decision you can without uh, worrying about it too much. So if it's better to buy organic produce that is packaged, then you should do that. You shouldn't sort of worry too much about it because, I mean, at the end of the day, we can only do what is is possible for us. But it it is a really hard thing to navigate through and people ask me these questions all the time. And to be honest, I'm still learning and there are, I don't have the answers for everything. And I think it's important to read widely and don't just take my word for, you know, law. With this, you started sharing more and more on YouTube, on Instagram. You've developed quite a following of, you know, people who are really eager to learn from you. Did you know off the bat that, you know, you could do this as your work, like continuing to share your message through social media? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I only decided to do this full time maybe like nine months ago. I mean, 
I've been using my social media platforms for like almost four years now. And I always did it in conjunction with uh, another job. So, yeah, no, I didn't even realize that this this could be a thing, that you could make money from or kind of turn into a real career. And what has been the most difficult part for you in terms of growing your platforms and your community to get to where you are today? Hmm. I guess making mistakes. Like some of my biggest problems have been where I've made a mistake in terms of things that I've said that I haven't really meant to or they come out wrong or I haven't been as inclusive as I possibly can. And I don't want my community to be this really small niche proportion of people that are able to live exactly the way that I am. And I've really struggled with trying to get past that and and make sure that I'm being as inclusive as possible. And that's really involves a lot of kind of a lot of reading and researching and understanding language and reading other people's perspectives and making sure that they don't feel excluded because that's the last thing that you want to do, especially when you're building a platform that is trying to change the way that everyone sees the world, not just a small minority of people. And yeah, it's, it's been hard, but it's also been immensely rewarding. It means that my platform now is incredibly diverse and well, hopefully anyway, <laughs> and hopefully getting more diverse as well. But yeah, I mean, the only thing I can say is that research and reading widely and making sure that you're following as many different people who have different perspectives and different understanding of what zero waste is or low waste, etc. And seeing it from their point of view as well as from yours, because unless you open your eyes and your ears to other people's perspectives and the way that they view these movements, it's very difficult to make sure that everyone is involved. What do you think is at stake if we were to approach our messaging in ways that may feel exclusive to certain groups of people? It can make the movement out to be really quite horrible. I think if you try to exclude people in any way, even if it's not intentional, it just kind of, it's really, I think it can be really damaging and you're not really going to get your message across and you're never really going to go mainstream and you might not even make much of a difference. I also think that just on a personal human level, not not being inclusive and not making sure that everyone is involved, it's kind of, it's just, it's not nice <laughs> to, to put it plainly. <laughs> right. So if you had to start all over again, whether it's related to this or to something else, what would you do differently, if anything? Oh, wow. I think I would probably do, I don't know how many things I would do differently. I think I am the way that I am now and my message is the way that it is now because I've had to learn so much so quickly by making lots of kind of mistakes. And one of the things that has actually made my channel so popular is because I share those mistakes and I share my journey and I show that I'm human and that I don't have a perfect pantry and that I don't have, you know, like really aesthetic um, minimalist rooms and, and whatever. I think showing the human side of these movements is so incredibly important because then people understand that you're just like them, you know, even if you have different access to things or or whatever, you're still the same person that they are, just trying to do better and just sharing your message in as, as positive a way as possible. 
definitely sharing your your weaknesses and your mistakes can be incredibly rewarding and it can be incredibly helpful for other people so even though there are a lot of old videos I'm really embarrassed of I think that they're important for for people to see where I am now in comparison to where I was four years ago. So when your content feels more accessible and relatable, I mean, we're all imperfect, so we can all relate to, you know, making mistakes and not being perfect. So then it kind of encourages people to try what you may be trying next as well. Yeah, exactly. I always love analyzing channels and kind of looking through their videos to see what types of videos have done really well or have gone viral. What have been some of your most viewed videos off the top of your head? Oh, God, my my most viewed video is actually one that I think is so rubbish. <laughs> it's, um, it's a video called The Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Zero Waste. And it's such a grandiose title. Like I, I decided <laughs> to, to create that because I knew that that title, I kind of did an experiment again. I, I wanted to see, and that's why these two videos are my like most watched ones. Because the top one, I decided to just go all out and be like, I'm going to make it seem like this is the most important <laughs> video that people need to see. The ultimate guide, which is obviously ridiculous. But when you kind of make more efforts to ensure that you're really, um, I don't know, kind of looking out to see what people are really looking for. And then you see what other videos have done well. And you think, oh, I'm going to try a little experiment. But I'm still not quite sure why that video is so popular because the content is it's fine, but it, the camera work is just embarrassing. <laughs> and uh, but I'm sure it wasn't that bad. We'll check it out <laughs> and let you know. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, it's one of those things because it got really popular and it had like I think 250,000 views, and then Lavender made a video about. 10 eco swaps or something that she made and because hers got like a million views suddenly my video became the suggested video after hers oh the algorithm yeah like she sent about 600,000 um not sorry 500,000 views my way in a couple of weeks wow and yeah that that was enormous and it just started it was crazy it's one of those things where you're like this is exciting but also terrifying <laughs> yeah so it it's not just, I mean, it, it is the way that you title it, the thumbnail, even though my thumbnail is crap, but it's, it's also how the algorithm, if other people who have bigger channels than you are making similar content, if your kind of video then gets suggested after that, it can just have a massive impact. My second most popular video, I, I know exactly why this one did well, because this was another kind of experiment and I did a morning routine video, which I know was super popular. And I think also timing is very important. I think the time at which I did both of these videos were kind of like when those topics were trending, particularly on YouTube. And um, this morning routine video I did, I kind of did it's a typical morning routine, but then I just made it zero waste edition. But it's really in the thumbnail that is the reason why I think people clicked on it. Even though it's not particularly like, I don't know, you can just see my bare back, which is particularly suggestive, apparently. Something like that, which I don't usually do, even though it's not, no, not too raunchy or whatever, 
that is something that is kind of clickbaity, essentially. And it, make, it means that people click on it a lot. And even though obviously the content has to be good, otherwise your watch time doesn't go up and it doesn't get suggested, etc. If you get a lot of people clicking on your video, then the YouTube's just going to go wild and it's going to um, put it in algorithm and, and shoot it out to more people. You know, given that a lot of people are consuming content all the time, increasingly more and more people are consuming more video content um, and also on YouTube specifically, how do you think we can have sustainability as a topic increase its watch time? So obviously clickbaity content isn't always great, but if we have great content and we can get people to click on it and watch it, that would be amazing. So what do you think we need to really have sustainability, gain more, I guess, awareness and exposure, maybe on YouTube specifically? I think one of the most important things is, is to do what the mainstream people are doing, but make a sustainable version of it. Because that's how a lot of my videos kind of got popular. Because you're saying like, oh, I'm doing a morning routine that like, you know, lots of YouTubers and stuff do, but I'm making it a zero waste version or I'm making it a sustainable version. And um, also doing kind of like, um, you know, haul, like I know hauls are terrible, but if you're doing a haul that's kind of entices people to come and look at it because they think they're going to see you buying loads of fast, like crap fashion, but actually you're like, actually this haul is uh, four items that I bought that I considered really carefully and I've decided to buy them from ethical companies. Then you're kind of intriguing people from a different kind of, uh, genre into looking at what you're doing and giving them a different perspective it's the same with like yeah it's the same with like meal plans or it's the same with like what I eat in a day videos if you kind of show them a different way or even fitness youtubers you know if they're talking about their fitness but then they say oh but we happen to eat local seasonal unpackaged food or whatever then it kind of puts plants those seeds in the minds of people that wouldn't have otherwise thought about it I think it's a really clever way, yeah, of, of getting people to come to it. That reminds me of the 10-year challenge that has really gone viral. And a lot of people are starting to share 10-year challenges of what the environment looked like 10 years ago compared to now. So yeah. I felt like that did pretty well. That did really well. And I, I was so confused at first because I'm, I'm really not very good at keeping up with like trends and things like that. <laughs> Same. I think I saw like the environmental versions before I even knew this was like yeah. a mainstream thing. <laughs> So did I. <laughs> and when I saw it, I was like, oh, what a great idea that people are hijacking this and turning it into something else. For sure. So last year, you started the low impact movement. Can you share a little bit about what this is and what it entails? Yeah. So the low impact movement is essentially a kind of community and educationally based platform where I try to share, you know, as much as what I do personally, but also tips for you guys, if you want to make your own stuff or if you just want to transition to a more sustainable lifestyle. And we have people who kind of come on and they talk about stuff from their perspective or I interview a lot of small sustainable companies and try and share their story to try and get people to realize that there are really amazing small businesses out there that are trying to do things a little bit better. So try and give them as much kind of like awareness and platform as possible, especially like female owned businesses, which I obviously love. And um, yeah, I guess it's kind of tried to be community based thing. And I think when you're part of a movement, 
for a really long time, you start to think like, I'd quite like to create something of my own now, now that I've got all the tools that I need. And I kind of wanted to create a platform where all of my values suddenly became in alignment and what I called myself, like calling myself like low impact or whatever, encompassed all of those things. Mm. What personal observations or frustrations or what was your thought process behind starting low impact movement? Yeah, so it all actually started when people started coming to me and saying, I don't have access to this or I feel guilty because I can't buy this unpackaged or, um, you know, they have medical needs where they're using a lot of plastic, etc., and things like that. And it, that's when I started to realize how inaccessible my personal message was. And I began to get really frustrated wrongly at, you know, people and realize that actually it was me that I was frustrated with and it, it was my message. And I, I started then to really listen and engage with my followers and to try and really create something that was community driven. And that's essentially why I decided to create the low impact movement because I wanted it to be a kind of message that said, yeah, zero waste is is a fundamental part of this, even if we're not calling it zero waste, we're just talking about lowering our waste. But it also, that's not the be-all and end-all. That what's important here is that you're trying. And even if it's a tiny step and you do it in one aspect of your life because you can't do it in another, for us, that's good enough. And that's really does set the tone for the way that you're trying to live your life. And we want to support that. And, um, yeah, I guess those frustrations kind of really have died down since I started the low impact movement because I've, I've tried to make it as accessible and open as, as possible. And the words low impact, I feel like it's a little vague, but totally open to personal interpretation as well. And in that sense, I feel like it kind of welcomes people coming into this space from all different angles and wherever they are, because low is just kind of you lower your personal impact wherever you are. So it's kind of relative and therefore more accessible. And we know that words are really powerful. So I'm guessing that it was also very intentional the way that you named this. I want to say it was very intentional, but it really wasn't, which is why (laughs) it is a little vague and why it's probably not the best term at all. But I don't feel like because you don't have to call yourself low impact. I feel like if you say you know, you're part of the low impact movement. I think that's what's more, uh, you know, fun and and important because within that you have the complete freedom to describe yourself or to not label yourself. I think labeling yourself for some people is is particularly troublesome and, and they don't wish to do that. And I think that, you know, the low impact movement gives people the flexibility of saying, I'm part of this movement, but I don't have to call myself you know, vegan if I don't want to be, or I don't have to call myself zero waste if I don't want to be, I can call myself plant-based or low waste, etc. So for someone just stumbling upon the low impact movement for the first time, what would your recommendations be in terms of what they can do? I think the most important thing is always, always to assess your own habits and to assess the way that you live your life. I think that is the best way to really investigate where you're wasting but also using, like analyzing your waste over, say, a week's period, then you can actually realize what areas you're able to change. Because 
it's <laughs> it's good enough to be like um you know here's some DIYs that you can do here's some swaps that you can do but it can become incredibly overwhelming so if you start with yourself and you start with your waste and you start with your personal journey and you analyze over a week say or a month the waste that you're producing and then you sit down and you write lots of things down and you think about how you can change that I think that can be one of the most impactful ways of starting your journey, but in a really positive way that's not too overwhelming. Definitely. So start just by really examining our own lives and just developing a greater sense of self-awareness that can really help us get started wherever we are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also with the movement, you focus on lifestyle tips on how to reduce our waste and also in the broader sense, fight climate change. How do you see waste reduction being related to fighting climate change? Oh, interesting question. (laughs) Good question. Um, I think everything that we do produces or has some kind of footprint because waste also, again, that was one of my struggles with zero waste movement is it focused very much on physical waste rather than uh, invisible waste as well. Because if you think about, you know, the food that we eat, if we are not eating particularly locally because we don't want to rather than because we can't, then we're not taking into consideration, you know, all those fright miles that the the food has come on or fast fashion, you know, is incredibly wasteful, but also it actually impacts the planet in, in ways that we don't necessarily take into consideration if we're not looking at the wider picture of climate change. So, thinking about those fright miles, thinking about how far our food, our clothes have traveled, uh, thinking about traveling ourselves, all of that impacts the way that we live and and how climate change, et cetera, works. Because also with food waste, if we throw food in the bin and it gets trapped in plastic bags and it goes to landfill, then it, it creates an incredible amount of gas that actually contributes to global warming. So, we don't really realize how these small things can massively impact the planet. And if you think about, I'm the only person doing this, but then you think about actually, however many people, you know, millions of people throwing food in the bin and trapping it in plastic bags, how much uh, is that going to contribute to global warming? So it really is a massive and, and wider picture that we are thinking about. But that is a bit terrifying <laughs> to to say to people at the beginning, and which is why we try and... Uh, focus in on small things and then say because you've made this change you have prevented you know this massive wider thing or you haven't contributed to the wider picture of of climate change definitely and with you being a community leader you know having been in this space for quite some time and having experimented with what sorts of messaging inspires people and really drives action what do you think we need most today to bring people together and take meaningful action towards a thriving planet i think what we need is we need community and we need understanding and we need to let go of judgment and kind of any negative infighting that there might be within movements. I think it's so important that we come together because, yes, our individual actions are important, but raising our voices as a collective can be incredibly impactful because at the end of the day, we need our governments on board. We need companies to change. We need companies to take responsibility for single-use items that they produce, for freight miles, for labour, for you know, human rights, animal rights, agricultural problems that we're facing. 
we need to come together as a collective and raise our voices so that we are one against the problem rather than because there is a lot of you know nitty gritty infighting that I think is really problematic but if together we can come together <laughs> um, we can I think make a massive a massive difference so creating communities however local they are or online going to meetups offering your you know volunteering at places coming together in some way online or offline I think can be really important so we'll definitely be checking out the low impact movement and join your community and we'd love to continue learning from you as well so what's next for you and where can we follow you online well I've started working with a lot of charities which is really fun so I'm I'm definitely going to be doing a lot of charity work this year I'm going to be doing a lot more in on YouTube and we're going to be running two campaigns this year on the low impact movement. So we've got the 30 day challenge in May, which is the low impact 30, which kind of really starts to investigate our own personal waste. So it's a good beginner's guide. And then we'll have another campaign in October, but that's really far away. So, <laughs> but um, you also asked me about my ebook earlier. Hopefully I'm praying my ebook will be out in um, April or before so that's kind of my my next big project that I'm working on and you can follow me on on YouTube on Sustainably Vegan or Instagram or the Low Impact Movement Instagram or the website the Low Impact Movement as well. This podcast wouldn't be here without you, Green Dreamer, so just wanted to say a sincere thank you for being here. A few people asked if we have a Patreon page so they can support the show on an ongoing basis, and the answer is now yes. If you've been finding Green Dreamer podcasts helpful in any way and would like to contribute whatever you're able to, you can head to patreon.com slash greendreamer. We'd love to be able to keep the podcast going as well as share more resourceful content on our new blog on our website, so your support would be so immensely helpful and greatly appreciated. Again, to become our Patreon supporter, you can just head to patreon.com slash greendreamer. For now, on to our final five. Let's power through. What's one uplifting or enlightening social media account or publication you follow? I really love um, The Millennial Scientist and The Climate Diaries. They are two really inspiring women in the science field who who talk really openly about and really intelligently about climate change and, and what's happening, what we can do. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? Something is better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that we are making a positive impact and you just have to remind yourself that everyone, every day is trying to do some little better and what you're doing is definitely working. You just have to be patient. Uh, what are you working on right now for your health? Well, I'm actually cycling to Paris in June so I've been doing a lot of cycling at the moment and it's making me very heart healthy. So that feels good. Amazing. Um, what are you working on right now to live more sustainably? I'm actually trying to learn how to be a seamstress and learn how to make clothes so that I can be a bit more independent about and you know picky about where I, where I make my clothes from and stuff like that. Um, what makes you most hopeful about our planet right now? Uh, I think my community and also people like you and this podcast, it, it makes me really inspired and hopeful that there are actually hundreds of thousands of, if not millions of people out there who, who also care. Oh, thank you so much. This is definitely mutual. I take so much inspiration from you. Um, and what final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? I would say don't wait to start your journey. Start today, start tomorrow, but 
just start really small. Every single thing that you choose to do, it, it matters and it does make a huge impact. And that's how it, it got me to where I am today. So start today. Just start from wherever you're at today. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable takeaways from this interview and the full show notes with links and resources at greendreamer.com slash 116 for episode 116. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can find me on Instagram at Kamea Shane, as well as on our new account at Green Dreamer Podcast. Oh, and if you'd like to support our show, you can just head to patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you from the bottom of my heart again, just for being here, for everything that you do and for your support. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer. <laughs>